Hey, welcome to the Crossing Church podcast. You're about to listen to a message from one of our recent meetings, which we trust will bless you. If you're wanting to know more about The Crossing, you can follow us on our social channels or visit thecrossing.org.za. Now lean in and be encouraged by Jesus as you hear his word for you today. You can also drop us a mail at forhim@thecrossing.org.za. The Crossing Church, Christ in us, Christ through us. morning everyone my name is Richard and together with my wife Andrea we have the privilege of pastoring here at the Crossing Church since the beginning of the year we've been working through the book of Acts and it's been an amazing and powerful journey watching the church being birthed in Jerusalem and seeing it grow and mature in the power of the Holy Spirit today as we continue our journey through Acts we're going to be looking at chapter 13 and Acts 13 is a large chunk of scripture 52 verses in all where we will see a culturally diverse church intentionally and courageously venturing out to take the gospel to the nations, to all ethnic groups in truth and in power. I'm excited to see what the Holy Spirit is going to take us today. But before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, may I become less so that you become more. I pray that today I may catch your heart and follow your direction. May my thoughts be your thoughts. May my words be your words. Holy Spirit, I pray as I surrender myself to you, prepare the hearts and minds of those who are listening. Make them receptive to hear your word. Do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to kick off in Acts 13, and we're going to go to verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we start off seeing Saul and Barnabas returning from Jerusalem, and then we're introduced to the leadership of the church at Antioch, the teachers and the prophets of the church. And it's an amazing, culturally diverse group of guys. We see Simon, who was called Niger, which is a Latinism for someone of a darker complexion. So it's suspected he's come from northern Africa. We see Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene was the capital of a Roman province located in North Africa, somewhere near modern Libya, and it was a prosperous, bustling city. We see Manaean, who was uh, grown up in the house of Herod the Tetrarch. It says that he was brought up with him, that they shared the same wet nurse, He was the same Herod who would later behead John the Baptist and uh, oversee one of Jesus' trials. Together with Barnabas, who we know was from Cyprus, and Saul, who was from Tarsus, this is a remarkably diverse group of leaders. And we're certain that at least three of them were Jewish, Um, although only Manaean would have been considered coming from Judah. Barnabas, we know, was a Levite, and we know Saul was educated in Jerusalem. Three of them were wealthy. Manaean, we know, grew up in the household of Herod Antipas. We know Barnabas from Acts chapter 4 had property. And Saul, we surmise, had some wealth as well. What we see here is an exceptionally diverse leadership team that comes from vastly different geographical areas and ethnic groups, but are all united in the Spirit, under the Heavenly Father, sold out for the cause of Christ, 
and set in place to father the church. What we see in this diverse group of men is that when it comes to adding believers to the church or putting leaders in place, God doesn't choose or appoint based on the color of our skin, the country we come from, the language we speak, or the balance in our bank accounts. The only thing he is looking for is a humble heart that is sold out for his son. He is wanting God-fearing, Jesus-following, spirit-led men and women who are united in him to carry out his mission and mandate to raise disciples and spiritual sons and daughters to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He looks beyond all that we as society measure a person's value by and gets straight to the heart of the matter. Is your heart submitted and sold out to the king and the kingdom? So in the opening verse, we we meet this incredibly diverse church, this diverse leadership group that reflects God himself in the Trinity. In the Trinity, we see the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, very different in function or different in role. The Father who heads over it, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who empowers, who speaks only what he hears the Father saying. All diverse, but all united, all of one essence, all in the same love. And that is what we're seeing here in this leadership team. We move on to Acts 13 too. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. We're looking at this diverse leadership group and we can see that there is something burning on their hearts. There is something that they are seeking the Lord in. They're going to him worshiping and fasting and seeking from him. And I love what it says there, while they were worshiping the Lord. It's a beautiful picture of this leadership team, the head of the church, the fathers in the household, worshiping the Lord. They're placing God in his rightful place over their lives. And when we place the Lord in his rightful place, we can assume our rightful place as submitted sons ready to do the will of the Father. Paul portrays this beautifully in Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we see this leadership team just worshiping the Father, putting Him in His rightful place. They submitted Son, seeking His will, and they're just offering their bodies to the Father. Lord, whatever it is, wherever you want us to go, whatever it is you want us to do, We place our bodies, we place our lives, we place everything we have at your disposal. And I love the intentionality behind it all, worshiping and fasting and earnestly seeking him. Why were they fasting? I mean, there's many reasons to fast, but in this case, I believe they were pursuing spiritual breakthrough. We see this principle in Jesus' ministry. He arrives here on earth, and for 30 years he lives in obscurity. He's being prepared by the Father a point in in history where he is baptized and he comes out and the father anoints him and what does he do? He goes into the desert to fast. His ministry is going to be launched from a place where the father speaks after him and he goes and fasts. He's seeking for spiritual breakthrough because he knows what lies ahead of him. The next three years he's just going to minister into the disciples' life. He's going to bring the good news of the gospel and ultimately he's going to go to the cross to once and for all defeat sin, and to start off on the right footing, to seek breakthrough from the Father. He goes into the desert to fast. 
and when he comes out, it's recorded in Luke 4, 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. This diverse, spirit-filled group of men sensed an urgency about something, a need to seek God in a special way. They were trusting to see God release his power into their physical circumstances. And judging from this response, we can see that they were seeking the Lord on his plan to take the gospel to the nations. This is a church with a burning desire to see the gospel break out from their meetings, to break out from their city and region, and to advance powerfully into the nations of the world. Nothing is more important for them. Nothing will stop them from doing it. They are surrendering their lives. They're surrendering everything they have. They're placing it before the Lord. They're offering their very bodies to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And what we're seeing, a team of leaders with a deep conviction to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. They're down on their knees, seeking God to break through and to make it happen. What are you trusting the Lord for? What are you needing Him to break through for in your life? What are you earnestly seeking Him for? I sense that given our current circumstances and everything we're working through and enduring, that some of you are despondent and maybe feel that God is, is not acting. I've got this picture as I was preparing today of a, a guy holding a great big glass bowl and he's hanging onto it and it's just weighing down and getting heavier and heavier and heavier and it's starting to slip from his hands. And this bowl is your life. This bowl is everything you're trying to hold on to, and you can feel it slipping from your grasp, and you've been earnestly seeking the Lord. Well, I want to tell you today that He wants to break into your life. He wants to break into your circumstances. He wants to turn your tragedy into a testimony. If that's you today, I want, you, I want to encourage you to seek Him, to seek only Him, to worship Him, to put Him in the rightful place in your heart, to pray and to fast and to put your bowl into His hands. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. So a funny thing happens when they are earnestly seeking the Lord and praying and fasting, he responds. He says, set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas, from this diverse group of men, this diverse group of leaders. He says, these two will be my chosen instruments. But before Saul and Barnabas can do anything great for God, they must first be set apart for him. To step into what God is calling them to, they must leave behind that which he is not. And we go, yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's Saul. We know everything that's happened to him. Surely this is just easy. He's going to step in and follow what the Lord has for him. But we have to remember where Saul is at this moment. He's in the city of Antioch. I mean, it's, it's the absolute hub of that region. It's bustling and it's busy. And he's leading in a church there. This is everything that any pastor would be pursuing. They are in such a great place that they are sending gifts to Jerusalem to support the original church. 
to support the apostles down there. Everything he would ever have been pursuing, he has there. And then God places this call over him. And he steps into it. We can't really say yes to God's call on our life until we say no to the things that will keep us from that call. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God is calling Barnabas and Saul to these good works, as he is calling you and me. He wants them to walk into the destiny that he has laid out before them. The calling God had on the life of Paul has already been stated in Acts 9, from verse 15. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This was no touchy-feely, feel-good type of call for Paul. It was a serious call to a serious ministry. Paul would face opposition and persecution and beatings and hunger and shipwrecks and imprisonment. And if the call wasn't clear, if he didn't go with God's voice ringing in his ears, he would surely turn back. And that's the pattern of God throughout history. He's forever calling his people out. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in Gideon. There he is in the wine press, threshing out the wheat because he's too scared to do it in public. And the Lord appears to him and he calls out a destiny over Gideon's life. Great and mighty warrior. He called out what Gideon himself couldn't see. We see it in the life of David. When, when Samuel comes to call and anoint the next king, they line up the physically best specimens before him. But the Lord looks beyond all of that and brings out a lowly shepherd boy and calls him out to be the king of Israel. And ultimately, we see it in the life of Jesus. From the beginning of time, Jesus has been called to the cross. He took off his robes of glory and was called to earth. But there's a pivotal moment in his ministry. There's a pivotal moment in the history of the world. That moment of his baptism where he goes down into the water and comes up and his father calls him out and speaks over him and sets him on his course. This is my son in whom I am pleased. And the Holy Spirit rests upon him. And Jesus' ministry is just launched into the stratosphere. If this is God's pattern to call out his people, to walk into the destiny before them, I have one question to ask you tonight. What is God calling you to? When last did you earnestly seek him and fast and pray? This is not about condemning you or making you feel guilty but I'm trusting that you'll be convicted to seek him. I don't want to let this moment pass. I want to pause here just for a moment because this is significant. It's a question we all have to ask ourselves. Whether we are in ministry or not, whether we are an elder, whether we are a deacon, whether we have just come to know Christ, 
He has a call on each and every one of our lives. And I want to challenge you to assess that calling. Maybe you've been walking in your calling for years now. I want to challenge you to seek the Lord on it. Whether you don't even know what your calling is yet, I want to challenge you to seek Him, to offer your body as a living sacrifice to Him, and walk into what He has in store for you. Acts chapter 13, verse 3. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I mean, this is a significant moment in the history of the church right here. Having fasted and prayed, and I love that, they, they fasted and were worshiping the Lord, seeking His guidance for Him to break into their, into their church and set the course for them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit speaks and says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas. And the reaction of the pastors is to turn around and pray and fast more because now there's something they really have to pray and fast for and depend on God about. Then they laid hands on them. They were laying hands for a formal commissioning to ministry. Certainly Paul and Barnabas were ordained before this, but now they were entering a different sphere of ministry. The act of laying on of hands represented the open and public acknowledgement by the church leaders that God had chosen and called Paul and Barnabas to a special ministry. By laying hands on them, the other church leaders claimed for them the special spiritual wisdom and grace and power they would need for the successful accomplishment of their God-given task. Then they were sent off. Notice that the church in Antioch sent Barnabas and Saul out. They were supported and sent by a specific congregation. And on the balance of Scripture, this has never happened before in the history of the early church. Certainly people went out as accidental ministries, as we see in Acts 8 and in Acts 11, but there was never a concerted and organized effort to win people to Jesus like this. And this is a beautiful picture of team. There was no lone rangers when it comes to the gospel. This courageous team of men go under the covering of a church. The apostolic heart of the church has begun to beat. The love of God that has been poured into their hearts can no longer be contained. Christ's mandate for the church is just burning inside them. And this mandate is not a staying mandate, it's a sending mandate. This mandate is not a gathering mandate, it's a going mandate. This mandate is not a getting mandate, it's a giving mandate. It is a mandate to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. All of God's people, every nation, every color, every language from every background, motivated by all of God's love, living in all of God's truth so that all become priests, releasing all of God's gifts in all of the churches, so that all may become leaders to discharge all the duties of our ministries to impact all of the nations. And you know what strikes me? Where is the risk assessment? 
Where is the demographic studies? Where is the marketing survey? Where is the spiritual mapping? Paul and Barnabas went out without any of these things, only with the call of God ringing in their ears and in the power of the Holy Spirit. This was a specific call to an apostolic ministry, but it mirrors closely the general call of God on each of our lives. And we see this in Matthew 28 from verse 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What we're going to see next is how they model this calling. So Paul and Barnabas set off from Antioch down to the coast, and they arrive in Seleucia and sail across the sea to the port city of Salamis on the coast of Cyprus. And we pick it up in Acts 13.5. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. It was custom in the synagogues to have a, an open synagogue that afforded people the opportunity to preach. So they come to this island, and they are just preaching the gospel. They are preaching the good news. They are preaching Jesus Christ resurrected. Then they set across the island to the capital city on the west coast, Paphos. And this city was known for its immorality. According to Barclay, Paphos was infamous for its worship of Venus, the goddess of sexual love. And we will see in Paphos a familiar combination. Immorality connected with spiritual darkness. The proconsul or the governor of that um, island hears about these men and he personally wants to hear the gospel that they are preaching. So he invites them to come and preach to him. And when they arrive, they, they see that he is accompanied to this meeting by a sorcerer, a false prophet known as Elamias, the magician. And Elamias resists the gospel. And he goes further than that. He tries to prevent the governor from accepting the truth of God. And Paul perceives his intentions and responds immediately. And Elamias immediately goes blind and is unable to see for a period. And he's struck with blindness. And we can't help but think about Paul, who would probably remember his own experience with God when he too was faced with Jesus and he too was spiritually blind. It was Jesus who blinded him. We know that Paul's eyes were opened, as was his heart, to the revelation of who Jesus was. Certainly those who are resisting God are spiritually blind. So God is just giving Elamias a physical blindness corresponding to his spiritual blindness. Then it says, the proconsul believed. Is Paul being too harsh here? What does he think he's doing coming against Elamias this way? Causing a blindness. But Paul is correct in acting like this. Because the eternal destiny of Sergius Paulus, the governor, is at stake. And the governor is astonished by what he sees. And he believes the gospel. He saw the courage of Paul. Here was a man of conviction 
bold in his belief and willing to make a stand for what he believed. He saw the just result of Elamias' sin, the physical blindness, which will correspond to his physical blindness. And as amazing as this miracle of Elamias' sudden blindness is, the good news the proconsul heard from Paul was even more amazing. It said he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And it's amazing that the power is astonishing, but the word preached is convicting. And what exactly did they preach that elicited such a response? To find that out, we need to follow Paul and Barnabas to Poseidon, Antioch. So Paul and Barnabas leave the island of Cyprus and arrive at Perga on the mainland, what is now modern-day Turkey. And they travel from there up to Antioch in Poseidon. Now, don't get this confused with Antioch in Syria, where they left from. This is a, a different city with the same name in a different region. And we read in Acts 13 from verse 14. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Brothers, if you have a word, please speak. Paul, like any pastor, wasn't the kind of man when given the opportunity to preach, wasn't going to take it. And he stands up and he begins like this. Men of Israel and you who fear God. Immediately, he addresses both groups who are sitting in the synagogue. Those Jewish people who are sitting there, confirmed Jews, and those people who are seeking a truth, not committing to a Jewish faith, but are there listening and hearing and seeking God, Paul immediately speaks to both of them. And he begins, as he's preaching, by noting important events. He says, These, this is the, how the choosing of the patriarch went. This is Israel's deliverance from evil. This is how they spent their time in the wilderness. This is how they conquered Israel. This is what the time of the judges was about. This is how the creation of the monarchy came about. But what he does is he culminates it all in Jesus. Jesus is the goal of history. And as we are in Jesus, we are in the flow of God's great plan of redemption. Then, using the example of John the Baptist and the Jewish rulers, Paul shows how people both receive and reject Jesus. John the Baptist responds to Jesus in the right way. He saw Jesus for who he was and prepared the hearts of others to follow him. Those who rejected him delivered him to Pilate to be executed, and Jesus was executed and laid in a tomb. It says there, then they took him down from the cross. And I just love that. The word cross, the literal translation there is, is tree. And what Paul is drawing on here is an idea from Deuteronomy where it says that God curses a person who hangs on a tree. In Galatians 3.13, we, we, we read, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. 
Paul wants to communicate the idea that Jesus was cursed so that we could be blessed. And then Paul preaches the resurrected Jesus. And I love it in verse 30, two words, but God. I mean, what glorious words. Man has done his best to fight against and resist God to the point of even killing him and crucifying him and sacrificing him on a cross. But God was greater than man's sin and rebellion and rose in triumph over sin and death. Then Paul applies the truth of the resurrection. The resurrection means that Jesus is truly the unique Son of God, and it proves he was utterly holy in his work on the cross. Paul applies the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. In Acts 13, 38, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. And the, that, the promise is that because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, forgiveness is offered to us freely in Jesus. He has done what the law could never do. Ephesians 2 from verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Everyone who believes is justified. Jesus does not only forgive us, but we are also justified by him. Forgiveness takes care of the debt, but justification restores us to sonship. The simplicity of the gospel preached in the power of the Holy Spirit is used by God to restore the lost to himself. In verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And this is the truth of the gospel. It, it's catching. People want to hear more about it. When truth is spoken, people want to know more. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. And just that continue opens up a whole spectrum here. If they were to continue in the grace of God, then they had received the grace of God. That as Paul was speaking, a risen Jesus seated on the throne, our penalty paid for to restore us to our Father in heaven, the people in the synagogues were giving their life to the Lord. And Paul urges them to continue in that grace because it's important as beginning in grace, we must never leave it as it is the foundation of our relationship with God. Verse 30, 44, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Almost the whole city. When they preach Jesus and the truth of who he is and what he has done, the city 
left their homes and came to hear of the risen Jesus. When the Jews saw this and saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. When we take the gospel out of our church, out of our homes, into the world, we're going to face opposition. We're going to face persecution. And the gospel is even going to be rejected by some. But it is not our job to save. It is our job to witness and proclaim the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. From verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the regions. As I close off today, this is what God is calling to us as a church. He's saying to the crossing church, I have set you, every one of you, pastors, deacons, saints, of every color, of every nationality, from every walk of life, as a light to all people, every nation, every ethnic group, every person, every person in your home, every person in your community, every person in your country, every person on your continent, and every person to the far ends of the world, that you would be for salvation, to preach the gospel in truth and in power to the ends of the earth. And will you join me and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we just want to start off by magnifying you and putting you in the rightful place this morning as king of our hearts. Lord, we magnify you and glorify you. We offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice. We give over everything we have, everything we are. We give our lives to you. Lord, I pray you speak to us. As we earnestly seek you, as we earnestly seek your face, Lord, burning on our hearts is a desire to take your gospel to the nations. 
to the ethnic groups of this world. And those nations start on our doorstep. Lord, break our heart for what breaks yours. Give us a heart of compassion for all people, for all the nations, Lord. Peel away from our eyes anything that stops us from seeing people as you see them. Equal. All men in your eyes. Lord, I pray you speak a specific calling over each one of our lives. Place in our hearts people. Place in our hearts regions. Place in our hearts nations, Lord, that you want us to reach. And with that, place your spirit in our hearts to give us boldness to walk into that calling. Lord, I pray that we can walk into your general calling for each and every one of our lives to take the gospel out, to preach it boldly and simply. Lord, let us not make this something that is not. It's as simple as Jesus Christ, sacrificed on the cross, risen again and seated at your right hand, who died for us as sinful people to restore us to a relationship with a Father in heaven who just wants to pour out his love for us. Lord, may we speak your love. May we speak it boldly into people's lives. Let us not be daunted by persecution and oppression. Let us not step back in the face of opposition because there are people out there dying who need your love. Lord, strengthen us with your spirit that we can take your gospel to the ends of the earth in the fullness of the truth of who Jesus is and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Convict us, Lord. Go before us. Light our path. May we follow you boldly. This morning, may we raise our hands. Say, here I am, Lord. Send me.